0: Hey, listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia, a show where we talk to founders, entrepreneurs, investors, shaping and impacting the startup Asia ecosystem. In today's episode, we are talking with Benjamin Teo. In a sense, Benjamin is co founder of Colabs, one of Malaysia's top co working spaces. However, the real story is that Benjamin is executive director of Paramount Corporation, a family business and one of Malaysia's top property developers. It was his time as Director of Innovation at Paramount Properties, where CoLabs was born and incubated. In today's episode, we will get to know Ben on a more intimate level, and hear how his family business has impacted him growing up, and how he had to find his own voice to become the leader that made CoLabs a success for himself, but more importantly for the Paramount portfolio. There are very unique insights to the inner workings of family business, where we will hear about the origins of Paramount Corporation, which has the same roots as the Si Hoi Chan Group. For those who don't know, the Si Hoi Chan Group was responsible for building the 15th largest mall in the world by a grossable area, One Utama. As I will mention later again, the second and third generation inheritors of large family businesses can have a huge impact on the future landscape in terms of innovation and supporting entrepreneurship here in Asia, whether it be internally or externally. Ben is the perfect example of taking a family business and leveraging on its core strengths and leading it into a new tech-savvy future. The last section covers the landscape of co-working, which is interesting on the backdrop of the post-WeWork blow-up, and more recently its full divestment from China. Also, we discuss realistically what the future of co-working holds and what it means for the labor market at large. Lastly, Colabs has launched a new enterprise solution called Scalable in the past month to embrace this new future by enhancing its product offering to corporates who are looking for ways to design, build, and manage the future workspaces. The future of work is rapidly changing, and their solution is poised to capture this growth. Let's learn more and dive right in. Benjamin Tia, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Alex. Thank uh, you for having me. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad.
0: Okay, so just to start, a little brief uh, introduction, I guess, uh, about you, just really quickly, because I think most of the stuff you could find online. Uh, so, you know, we'll try to cover it as, much as, as, as fast as we can. Uh, last year, you became executive director and joined the board of Paramount Corporation. Mm-hmm. August 2019. Congrats!
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: you started as a management trainee in 2012. Uh, graduated from the University of Nottingham in the UK. Uh, and then, you know, part of the reason we're talking here today because I think there's this big theme uh, in Asia about family businesses and uh, the potential of what you could unlock by doing innovation, right? And I guess one of those examples is what you did with your family business of you know it's been around for 40 years now. 50. 50 actually, years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's so celebrated I'm
1: that 50th anniversary <laughs> last year, actually.
0: Congratulations. Uh, and uh, one of the things you did was innovating CoLabs, right? CoLabs is probably one of the, I guess you could say, premier co-working spaces in Malaysia, probably, right? Uh, and you started that during the whole boom of co-working uh, back in 2017. 17. Yeah. So that's when they were really getting hot mm-hmm. with WeWork, um, SoftBank investing really big, right? Uh, and currently, what, that's probably around four or five locations by now? Four, yeah. Four locations and planning more, of course, yes. right? Uh And that's, that's when you were the director of, of innovation and later the CEO of Powerment Property Development, right? Uh, ben is one of the nicest down-to-earth guys I know. Uh, you know, honestly, someone of your position, only after researching, I realized, you know, um, you're – Part of this big family business. And I know other people in a similar position, and it's almost literally impossible to grab time with them. (laughs) You know, it's, it's very challenging because of schedules, unless you're, you know, directly in their critical path. So I really appreciate the time you taking with us today.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Uh, I'm really bad at at, (laughs) uh, uh, accepting um, uh, compliments. Uh,
0: Okay, so just to get you uh, to know you a little bit better at first, yeah, you and know, from a personal level for the audience, you know, I'll start with a few questions about you. When you were young, before high school, how did you view your life and what it would be like in the future? So, what did you think your life would be like by the time you hit
1: your thirties? Well, I I grew up uh, in a very affluent household. Um, although back then I. Didn't have any semblance of, of, uh, or any understanding of how privileged I am. So, uh, but, but having said that, I had a very nice, uh, privilege upbringing, mm-hmm. um, very caring parents. Uh, I studied in an international school. Um, and I think that that set me off on a very good footing for, for, um, how I would view the world, mm-hmm. uh, in the future. Um, to your question about, whether to your question about, um, what I would have thought my, my future would have looked like. I, I, really had no idea, honestly. Um, I had the understanding, uh, early on that, that, uh, my, my father had plans for me. Um, mm. but to, to what, ex- to what extent I really had no idea. And the, the gravity of the whole situation never really mm-hmm. hit me uh, up until I became much older.
0: Which, which I mean, it sounds good. Like you had probably loving parents. That's what it sounds like, and probably that's what's most important for uh, development, right? And uh, that means you probably weren't thinking about that kind of stuff. You were just being a kid. Yeah. Right. Um, what were you thinking about then?
1: Uh, well, you know, the typical kind of uh, uh, stuff boys think about. Uh, <laughs> what, girls. Girls. <laughs> girls. Uh, uh, football. Football. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Um, sports. Yeah. Sports. Honestly, I had a very, uh, typical childhood, I, I, I can say. Um, not, uh, up until, uh, I went to university, that's when I really began to question myself and to, uh, question my place in society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because up until then, you know, I had grown up in a very, in a bubble, I might, I might say within, within, uh, uh the society in Kuala Lumpur because, uh, for better or worse, I was, I grew up in a, you know, upper middle class kind of bubble and I was very much sheltered from, uh, <clears throat> the trials and tribulations that, that the general public might have mm-hmm. experienced. Yeah. Um, so um, up until I went to university, um, I, I lived a very sheltered life. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I did go to university, I, I went, I did my undergrad at the University of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was actually, but but by me being there actually led me to question, um, my standing in society, who I am and, and what perhaps value I can bring to it. Because Mm -hmm. that was the first time that I was actually away from my peers in, in, um, from Malaysia. Most of my friends went to London to study. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I went to Nottingham, I was really thrown into the deep end, uh, Learning to socialize with different people, different mm-hmm. people from uh, different walks of life, um, and in in a very alien kind of uh, setting. Mm-hmm. So, 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 two questions from that. Um,
0: I you know. We, I, I think we had uh, lunch together before this, and we touched on some of these topics. Uh, and, and the sense that I was getting from lunch and and talking with you is that you're you're deeply introspective. So, the, the first part of the question would be. Um, where where do you think this introspective nature comes from?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I, I think I naturally have a predisposition to to introspection. Um, although I think I'm quite a outgoing and and uh, extroverted guy. Um, it could have been a coping mechanism of sorts because mm. I was the fat kid in school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, um, although although I've I would I would like to think I've got a, a strong circle, social circle. I think I, I had to adapt in different ways in mm-hmm. order for me to, to, um, bring value to my peers and, and, and to, uh, um, amongst my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I was very much the funny guy in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and sports being not my, not my forte, um, yeah. really, it, it pushed me to, to really uh, explore other aspects of my yeah. of my personality.
0: It sounded like you almost had like a, a chip on your shoulder, right? Because I think everyone struggles with this, trying to grow up, uh, being a youth, uh, trying to fit in. It's like you said, and, and I think I noticed you brought up a lot uh, in our talks, like trying to find value in where you fit in, right? And it sounds like, um, I guess fitting in must have been a struggle for you growing up across uh, many themes from family to hanging out with friends, schooling.
1: Growing up, not so much, actually. Um, mm. in school, I very much found it very easy. Mm, okay. But, um, okay. I, I mean, I was, I was a good student. I wouldn't say I was a great student. So academically, uh, I did pretty well. Uh, B student? Uh, B student, solid B. Student, Sol- solid B. All right. Uh, but the problem with me was that I, I was very lazy. <laughs> so, so I think we'll get into this a bit later of how I've had to re-engineer my, my life or my mindset to be able to, to, um, to, to, uh, uh, orient my, my, my lifestyle, my, my goals in order to, um, to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but academically I, I was always, uh, I, was an, I was an, okay student. Um, it was, like I said, it was my, uh, laziness that, that was, um, the one that, that was kind of holding me back, mm-hmm. uh, to your question, um, you know, I, I I never found it hard to make friends. Mm. Uh, I was always, you know, uh, one of the more popular guys in school. It was only a, uh, when I went to university I started having a bit more questions about mm. identity, mm-hmm. and that really came to a fore when I started work. Mm. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into that yeah. later. But that my my experiences in work, especially in the first couple of years, really led me on a path of self discovery. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So before we get to that path of self-discovery, um you know going to the UK growing up in, in Malaysia, there must have been a lot of uh, culture shock or experiences. What were one what was, what was one of the more alien experiences you you vividly remember?
1: So I I had always thought that you know the UK was um was was uh Oh, no, I I was led to believe, you know, that mm. by going to the West, you would really be able to expand your horizons <laughs> and, and discover something, a lot of new things. Um, in, in many ways, that was true. But what I, what I quickly realized by going to Nottingham is that beyond the capital cities of, of any country, it's, no. it's very, uh, um, very back-minded, mm. um, very much like a, Kampong kind of mentality. That's not what they
0: tell you, right? Yeah, it's definitely not
1: what you tell me. So one of the biggest like, shocks that I received um, was that on, I think it must have been the second or third day in uh, Nottingham. I was out in the city center with my parents who, who had came to, to settle me in, and that was the first time I had encountered uh, racism. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that so, must have been well, shocking. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very, very shocking. So I was walking down in the middle street, and so, um, some skinhead behind me, and he made some derogatory comments, mm. and I was very, very taken aback because I never experienced mm. anything like that. Uh, coming from a society yeah. where, where, me as a as a Chinese guy um, represented a, a, a big, mm-hmm. a big minority within yes, the population, it was it, shocking. It was jarring, yeah,
2: yeah. very jarring.
0: But what was your emotion and feeling when it happened?
1: I, I can't really speak to that anymore because it's... it's too so too long, long. ago, yeah, too long but, ago. But it was shocking. Enough was, to remember it. Yeah, right? for sure,
0: for sure. Yeah, okay. And what what is one thing many people do not really know about you?
1: Um, that I'm actually quite a private guy. Yeah, I... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in in the business world, I've made it a deliberate point to really got there to brand myself. Yeah. Uh, but... But I, I, don't really crave that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I, very much am very happy to be able to, to have my own autonomy and my own privacy. Um, and for better or worse, you know, that kind of thing is mm-hmm. being eroded now. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, by, by force of position and, mm-hmm. and function. Uh, I, understand that too. Naturally, I'm an introvert. Uh, so, experiences that externally drain me, right? So, of course, though, if you're, if you're building a startup, um, you're looking for, for value and customers, you have to put yourself out there. Yes. And so yeah. I think that's maybe what you're speaking to that, you know, as, as you continue your career, you have mm-hmm. no choice but to mm-hmm. explore those aspects. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's also part of redefining who you become, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 How about this then? Um, what is one thing many people get wrong about you?
1: Mm. Um, I, I think it goes back to what you said uh, about me having a chip on my shoulder mm. uh, and, and for, to, to, to a large extent that is true um, I've always grown up uh, with uh, my father being a big uh, patriarchal figure in <laughs> both the home and uh, 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 at work so for the longest time, it um, I, I was living in my father's uh, shadow, and that didn't really bring a lot of or, or inspire a lot of confidence in me. Yeah. So, so a lot of the bravado, or uh, I wouldn't say, actually, I wouldn't say bravado, but the the confidence that I, I seem to have right now has been through many years of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that doesn't really come to me quite quite uh, naturally.
0: So I guess we could split that difference up a little bit because growing up uh, amongst friends, schooling, uh, there there is a confidence about you, right? But that's a little bit different from the dynamic of having identity tied to a family business as well, and also the how society may view that, um, and then just it's a different persona, I guess you could say, of confidence when you approach thinking about what you want to become for yourself and um, working especially under the shadow of your father, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, especially when I first started work, it was very hard for me to, to, to divorce um, my, my private identity
2: mm-hmm.
1: to that of uh, the paramount identity. Mm-hmm. Because um, my father has always been very intrinsically uh, kind of, uh, related to to the Paramount Group of, of course, right? Of course, him being yeah. the founder. Um, yeah. So, the Paramount identity w- is his identity, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, you know, the first few years of me working was me trying to establish what my own identity was, uh, and and that 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 has come through, you know, experience. Yes. Solving problems. Yes. Right? And working through yeah. things.
2: Yeah. For sure.
0: Okay. Is there any? profound moment or experience in in your youth that impacted you that you carry out with you through until now
1: there was a there was um something that my
2: okay
1: there was something that my father said to me and my uncles shared with me one time um two separate things that i can think of that has left a very lasting impact on how i see my role within the company and um my responsibility to really uh uh steward be a steward of the company moving forward mm-hmm. um my uncle shared with me that um this was one day after dinner and i don't know what we were talking about but uh he he shared with me and he said that you know ben you will never know what real hunger feels like mm. um and he said that you know you've grown up with everything given to you. Uh, and you have to understand that is actually not a, a privilege, but rather a detriment mm. to your ability to grow mm-hmm. as a human being, as, as, as a leader. Mm. Um, and he said that you need to be able to understand that a number one, you don't have the hunger. A lot of other people do, right? Mm. So how are you going to compete in, in a marketplace mm. where there are lots more Hungry businessmen, hungry business leaders out there that that do not know when their next meal is at. Mm-hmm. They're gonna hustle. They're gonna hustle mm-hmm. way harder than you are. Mm-hmm. So you you need to have that awareness that that hey, this is something that you're gonna lack, um, and then you need to be able to find ways to supplement this mm-hmm. gap. It might not be from you fostering a level of hunger to that of of uh, of the others of the incumbents in the space, but. It could be a different skill set or a different kind of value system that allows you to bridge that gap.
0: Mm, yeah, that's that's definitely profound. I, mean, I could imagine, um, and you no, know, being uh, in a position of uh, wealthier family or privilege, of course, that applies. But even just, I'd say, being middle class in general, mm. of, of any middle class, um, there's always someone who has less opportunity than you and. Uh, that was one of my big problems as well you know growing up and uh, i could i could see you now like having that kind of mentorship early on definitely probably impacted how you th- how you view things now and maybe probably is that what do you think do you think that sparked your journey of introspection or it was just along the way
1: it, it was along the way it, it it definitely added to it um i think what that what what my uncle said to me really served to really um establish the kind of gravitas that that mm. my my uh Eventual kind of standing in in mm-hmm. a company would would mean, yeah. and how that, well, how my actions um, could have long standing repercussions, mm-hmm. and, and to that point, I think what my dad said to me uh, early on as yes. well that that um, really stays with me for a long time is that uh, I I don't as a business leader or a business owner. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a responsibility to not only myself, but in actual fact, I have a responsibility to, uh, to take care of all the employees within, uh, the Paramount Group, which up until last year was with our education assets yes. uh, and businesses in place. We had a staff, a staffing of over a thousand. Yes. Uh, headcount. That's a lot of lives. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot of lives. So, yeah. so, uh, that, that really stuck with me because, you know, it, it 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 spoke to me in the sense that you know I, I would have so many I guess children right under mm-hmm. my wing that yes. I, I would have to be able to to grow and develop and and provide a living for. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so then when you started going to university, you decided to study politics and sociology. Yeah, uh, why did you want to study this, and how is that tied to maybe from your experiences from your yeah. youth?
1: So, so, policy and sociology, not your typical kind of, um, uh, Chinese kid kind of, uh, yes. degree for sure. Um, couple of things to that. Uh, actually, my, my first choice was always to study PPE.
0: What is that? That is, uh,
1: politics, philosophy, and Aha, economics. Okay. And that's
0: a very much, uh, UK system thing. I yeah. It's a, yes. it's a yeah. UK thing. Um, yeah.
1: but, uh, <laughs> I didn't get the grades for maths, <laughs> okay. Especially so, so that that quickly went out the window. Yeah. But growing up, I was always an idealistic kid. Mm. Um, I I and growing up, I I always understood uh, or from from a very young age. I think my parents really kind of un- instilled the 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 belief in me or the understanding that I've cu- I I I've come from a privileged background, mm-hmm. so I had a. Uh, onus or responsibility responsibility for me to do more than
2: mm.
1: i can yeah right so i grew up as a very idealistic kid mm-hmm. um and which led me down the path of humanities right politics mm. and sociology mm-hmm. trying to understand society trying to understand the human psychology mm. in, in order for me to bring good to society
0: mm-hmm. where does this ne- okay so there's a few things going on like um part of it's the family influence part of it's you having this inquisitive nature um and then you trying to figure out this kind of path uh why did you think that you needed to study that then where you know where is that coming from
1: um i well i i enjoyed sociology uh mm. at school mm-hmm. i took that up, um uh as as one of my igcse igcse subjects and um it, it spoke to me uh, mm-hmm. i think it spoke to the idealistic um, I see, I see. aspect of my personality so that that really spoke to uh, that that really encouraged me to to further understand uh the human psyche mm-hmm. as well as um the roles of humans in society beyond uh beyond your traditional kind of prescriptions of of okay. the roles yeah. of society Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And does 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 any of that schooling uh frameworks, uh, theories help form how you can view what you kind of deal with today and how you kind of became your own adult because it's like you said, there there's there's prescriptions and we kind of take them for granted, like you know, society views it this way. Um did any of that schooling help in deciphering this?
2: For
1: sure. Um I think I think my my educational and academic background has 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 put me on a pathway that, that not many business owners, yes. especially in Malaysia or, or Asia traditionally take. And yes, I, I, th- I would like to believe that that has allowed me to really, uh, adopt a more humanistic kind of, um, approach to business. Yeah.
0: Uh, At the end of the day, the humanistic approach is what a huge part of leadership will be, right? And definitely. And I guess that probably would contribute not only to your leadership style, but also how you work and interact with people and changing and evolving what the old guard has probably yeah. known and developed. Yeah. Right.
1: So, so yeah, I think we can definitely dive into this much later, but it, this humanistic approach has allowed me to develop a, a, a unique way of, or not unique, but just my own way of yeah. managing people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that I think it's brought an understanding of how I would. Like to position the Paramount Group moving forward mm. because, um, I do not think, I think the way, uh, companies and businesses are perceived in the future, uh, as a public listed company uh, will not be solely dictated by profits anymore. Mm-hmm. I think moving forward with, um, the likes of, of you and I, you know, the millennials coming into, uh, uh, um, roles of, of power and decision making it, it uh, and as the sh- as as um, the investing community matures from our generation yes. things like ESG become a big big component in how mm-hmm. people will perceive uh, the performance of a company what is ESG uh, environmental social and governance issues okay. Yeah. So some corporate structures, um, corporate so, governance. Yeah, yes. Uh, the the, co- the the green um, the, mm-hmm. the the green uh, what was the word uh, the the eco kind of um, agenda. Yes. The yes. green agenda.
0: Co- corporate social responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And and,
1: also, and the the social aspect yeah. of things yeah.
0: as well. So I, I could definitely hear the the uh, the positive side, the the optimist in you. You know, you believe in a, in a future where, where you could dictate this kind of change where it's beyond the profits, which I think, you know, even in Silicon Valley, you have um, the founder of the lean method, right? He, he started, I think, even like a, a stock index that where it's like supposed to be more long term oriented instead of, you know, profit generational oriented. And to a degree, I guess you could argue, you know, capitalism is probably the best thing you have. You know, it's not the best system. Uh, you know, it's brought about a lot of wealth and good. But at the same time, you know, I think a lot of people tend to forget the, the ills that come with it. And, and hopefully, as you know, as like you said, if we can move beyond that and think more long-term sustainably, yeah. could hopefully.
1: Uh, and, and everything that we are seeing today with the pandemic and all, all the race riots that happened <laughs> yeah. in the, in the U.S. kind of has highlighted the, the, the racial inequalities, the yes. wealth inequalities that, that I think have to be addressed moving forward.
0: Yes, correct, correct. And so speaking of that, right. So let's let's talk a little bit about your the family business, right. So it's a publicly listed company. Uh, two thousand nineteen, the revenues were over seven hundred million in ringgit, right. So that's around two three hundred million USD probably around there. Um, you've just recently expanded into Bangkok this year. Yes, right. And you have plans for Vietnam and Philippines. Um, At least to me and my understanding of the industry of property development, that's probably something I don't hear about often of property developers expanding within Southeast Asia, right? Because I feel that, and when I talk to other guys who are like owners as well, they, they tell me that, you know, each country has their own turf, maybe within their own turf, they accept each other. And maybe we'll collude, but you know, as soon as you try to go to another country, someone's going to use their competitive advantage with the government or whatever relationship to kind of kick you out. So, is that definitely something different about Paramount?
1: Um, so, so our project in in Bangkok marks our first venture overseas, and um, this is after many years of deliberation between our management about how we want to grow our business and what are the next steps. Um, and you're, you're exactly right when you said that you know. Many property developers have actually found it difficult when venturing yes. into other countries uh, beyond that of their home country, uh, especially in Southeast Asia, Yeah, uh, mainly due to the fact that Southeast Asia is not a homogenous market, right? Yes, not at not all. At all. Yeah. So it requires a lot of localization, a lot of local yes. knowledge. Yeah. And with many of these um uh entities that we set up, you need a local partner in mm-hmm. place. So being able to go out, find the right partner, mm. um, someone that you can trust, and someone scary. that can take the yeah. lead is, is, is for, 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 for the most part, it's a coin flip, right? You yes. don't know what you're going to get. Yes.
0: And I, I've noticed that not just in the property industry, um, you know, in, uh, you know, in fashion and other people who've expanded within Southeast Asia. So many times the story is all this time people getting burned on the partner. Yeah. They're either a dud, they run away with the money or they're just, you know, that just doesn't work out too much conflict. So, um, definitely, I think it's, it's in a sense pioneering for, yeah. for, for this region. And, uh, it's a, well, I it's mean, a big we, bet. We've, right?
1: t- we've taken a very prudent approach. Yeah. Um, uh, we were entering a JV with a local, uh, uh, Thai developer mm-hmm. and we've only, uh, uh, and we we made a deliberate um kind of step to 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 take on a very small chunk mm. of it just to test the test the, water.
0: the waters yeah. right i guess that's part of the business philosophy we'll get into a little bit later uh, so previously the family business included the whole KDU uh, family right which was the college Damansara University which yeah. you had i guess the, would you say high school a levels or
1: so it started off as a college. Yeah. Uh, then we ventured into uh, K 12 schools. Yes.
0: Okay. So then you went all the way from
1: primary. Yeah. So, okay. so, uh, um, but, well, up until last year, we were a full spectrum provider, right? So yes. You had kindergarten all the way to yes. tertiary. And uh, part of that also was the culinary
0: school and associated to that was Dewa Khan. Yes. Yeah. Right, which is the one of the top rated restaurants in Southeast Asia or Asia.
1: Uh, in Asia, yeah, yeah Asian, uh, all of Asia. We yeah. we were Dewakan was voted uh, the well was included in the top uh, fifty, top 50 uh, yeah. restaurants in Asia for last year, and the only Malaysian restaurant.
0: So, yeah, so which is a huge a testament, I guess, to what you guys built with the because it was born out of the culinary school. Yes,
1: right? it, it, actually, so not not a lot of people know this, but it, it started off as a training kitchen for culinary arts students, mm. which um, then evolved into a full fledged <laughs> restaurant
0: and it, it's fair to say it's classified as fine dining or
1: yeah fine dining mm. uh we, we like to position it as modern malaysian mm. so a lot modern of Malaysia. fine dining techniques applied to a malaysian, malaysian produce mm. malaysian ingredients and yeah. malaysian preparations yes. yeah uh, recently, I did a
0: very nice episode on on fine dining, and so I think it's a very interesting world, and it's great to see that there's such an interesting cross of property developer, but also intersecting with fine dining, which is very
1: unique. Well, that, that wasn't planned for. actually yeah. The 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 whole how how Dewey evolved was very serendipitous in, in yeah. many ways. But um, good good timing. Very happy to be part of the part of the story. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I guess under the portfolio of the family business now is what we talked about earlier, collapse. Yeah. Which is primarily the uh, co working space that mm-hmm. you've been working on for the past few years. Uh, and then recently, like you've mentioned, you fully divested from the education. Um, I'm not sure, you know, too many people follow the story. Uh, but so what, what was the reasoning for divestment and, uh, you know, what, how long was this education journey?
1: So the education journey started off uh, in the 1980s. So we've been a long standing private education player within Malaysia for a long, long time, for decades. Um, and the reason why we we divested was mainly due to timing. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we, we sold the, we split the education business into half. So we actually sold the K-12 business to one party and the, the Mm -hmm. tertiary business to another. The tertiary business was a little easier to, to rationalize, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the sense that, uh, we've, we've found it very hard to compete For the past 10 years or so, uh, mainly due to competition. Yeah. Um, As well as the plan for the government to really create or or to position Malaysia as a tertiary hub, not really coming to fruition.
2: Mm, I see. I see. Um,
1: So, so with, there was a lot of pricing pressure uh, from, from, uh, from the many competitors out there in the market. So we decided it was, it was time for us to, to find. A partner that can come in to help us uh, to help the business grow to to its uh, or, or to, to find to help the business grow to the next chapter. Yeah, next level,
0: next, next level. Generation. Yeah. So because there's basically there's other bigger players, more scale and knowledge, um, yes. and you've already established a good brand name and it's yeah. taking it to the next level. And I, I think you know at at the same time it's it's not really a waste because we talked about this earlier because education tech is really hot now. Right, and I think this whole experience has allowed uh, Paramount not just to uh, just be only. I mean, now now you are focusing purely on property, but also you have other investments too, Mm. right? And I think you mentioned uh, because of your experience in education, you're still a player in the game, even though you've you know um, sold off the assets, but you've also now invested in education tech companies.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, exactly right. Um, even though we don't, we're not a business owner of education anymore, we still have the, the domain knowledge, uh, in the education space. So this gives us a very, uh, special opportunity for us to be able to, uh, uh to derive the deal flow that comes, that, 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 that might, might arise from any, um, opportunities in the market. But for us to accurately and, and, um, accurately access the market potential for, of any business mm. to, be able to operationalize it in the right way Mm -hmm. and to leverage off our networks to be able to, Mm -hmm. um, to push any kind of market entry or, Mm -hmm. or any growth opportunities.
0: So, so in a sense, a lot of that capital, of course, probably some of it's going back to the business and maybe investors, but. Some of it will also go back to reinvesting back into the education space, right? Yes. Yeah. And do you have anything interesting in the education space now?
1: So a couple of years ago, we, we made our first investment in an Ectet business called Open Learning. It's mm. an Australian, um, uh, M-O-O-C provider. MOOC. MOOC. MOOC provider. Um, essentially, uh, to, to our list, to the listeners out there, it's, uh, an reiteration of, of what you see with like General Assembly, um, uh, Khan's Academy, all these kind of guys where with a specific, uh, uh, interests for, for open learning with working with institutions mm-hmm. so they help institutions digitalize their course offerings and facilitate mm-hmm. the the the, um, the the courses online mm-hmm. was a part of the rationalization
0: of, of divesting from education also maybe how you guys view the future of education do you see that changing and um, h- how people learn and maybe it's uh, the structure and the accessibility of information now
1: yeah definitely definitely yeah. um so if you look at the classroom delivery um, that we have in, in schools, it hasn't changed for the yes. past 50, 60 different years, for 50, 60 years, right? Ever since education came about probably, right? Exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and, and this is prime for, for education. Although although now with the pandemic, uh, I think there's a lot <laughs> of data there that, that shows yeah. that perhaps remote learning isn't there yet. Mm, okay, okay. Um, uh, not... Unlike work from home, unlike yeah. working from home, I think that that has proven that to be a model that can work. Yes. Um, but perhaps with with education and especially with younger kids, uh, it, 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 I think the offerings is not um, at a ubiquitous level that that has allowed for conducive yeah. learning.
0: I think what we experienced in the past decade, you know, the whole Silicon Valley explosion, is that the infrastructure for a remote work. Because there are quite a few success case stories of really successful multi-billionaire companies that uh, maybe have a you know have gone remote or started remote, right? And I guess education probably is is not there. It still needs some infrastructure. And I think what happened in the past, uh, I don't know, for as long as you've got kids, right? Everyone uses schooling as a more form of babysitting. Right. And I think what during the pandemic, people were working from home and they found out they probably couldn't handle having kids yeah. at home and working. Right.
1: Yeah. So, one, one of the, the most common themes for my, um, for my, uh, video calls, at work was, uh, kids screaming in the background. Yeah, in the background. Right? Yes. yes. Okay. So but
0: I guess that means, uh, would you argue that it's still ripe for disruption in, in investment and you guys are going to continue looking in the space?
1: Yes. Definitely. Uh, I, I think there is, uh, the classroom delivery is, is right for, for mm. innovation and disruption, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think a few things need to come uh, before Forehand. that. Okay. Uh, I think tech penetration or, or, yes. or, or, or it, tech penetration, gadget penetration is, is definitely one. Probably content too, right? And content as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, I think a, a few different uh, aspects and factors need to come in mm-hmm. place before mm-hmm. we can see real comprehensive adoption mm-hmm. of, of remote learning.
0: So that's pretty much uh, the comprehensive overview of, of the family business. Uh, maybe you could talk about the brief brief history and origins. You know, how did Paramount really come about?
1: Yeah. So I, I am a third generation Malaysian. Uh, my my um, family have roots in in Guangzhou mm. uh, in China. Uh, they came here. I I, I am a Teochew by by dialect. Mm. Um came here, and then we started off the business in rice milling actually oh okay uh and my my dad got his start in, in rice milling, so around what time period this was in the sixties sixties okay yeah. okay uh, but, i mean but honestly before that i can't really speak as to what the the main family business mm, activity yeah, was yeah, yeah. it's our 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 family history is very very um uh, uh, convoluted and, and, yes. and very messy, actually. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I can speak to, of my dad's involvement in the family business. So he was part of the rice milling business mm-hmm. um, and uh, he, him working under his family as well, as his siblings, uh, he very early on, he kind of uh, had the foresight to see that succession um, of the family business might become an, a big issue. So he took it upon himself to perform a management buyout of the of, of the company hmm. of, of the Paramount Group as we know it today, mm-hmm. um, and 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 extracted himself out of the of the si Hoi Chan family business mm-hmm. to start Paramount
0: on its mm-hmm. own. So, so basically, it's together. Were they brothers? With so Seahui si Chan was the one with Paramount, I guess, for starting rice milling.
1: Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's very um, it's very complicated because there are actually two main. Teal families that are that are uh that are operational in in Malaysia or in yeah. KL. Um they're actually two brothers. My my grandfather and my great grand uncle. Okay, wow. <laughs> uh, my grandfather and my uncle Okay. Um and the, these two brothers, uh, actually have two, have created two very separate branches of, mm-hmm. of fam- of the, of the mm-hmm. Tio family. Mm-hmm. And that's impacted on, on, uh, the business activities that mm-hmm. we do as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one side, of the Tio family manages the, 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 uh, Banda Utama side of, of the development. So things like one Utama, the, mm-hmm. the entire mixed development there. Yeah. So the r- residential units, the commercial stuff, mm-hmm. um, the hotel, yeah. as well as the school, and on, on my dad's side of the family, um, his his father uh, had a, a few pockets of land um, in amongst uh, the PJ area, Pataling Jaya, uh, as well as the rice milling business. So, so when my dad extracted himself, he took on the rice milling business before um, selling that to to get a start in in property development, mm-hmm. um, and a, part, a portion of the proceeds. From that, also went to uh, um, an insurance business that my dad um, uh, uh, started as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I started two different businesses very early on. Yes. And then essentially,
0: uh, he decided to focus more on property or is insurance still around?
1: So so insurance was sold, um, I think, in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, So we we started off with property. And then uh, in the 80s, my dad... I uh, saw uh, a gap in in the market for private tertiary education. So that's mm. when he started KDU.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, we mentioned this earlier. So you had one sibling.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, as an older sibling.
1: Uh, I've got one sister, 11 years, my senior, no. actually.
0: So I guess that also makes the family dynamic a little bit easier, being a smaller family.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Um, in terms of succession, it was it was a lot more straightforward than a lot of the other family businesses that that um, I can see out there.
0: Yeah, have more uh, siblings, I guess. Yeah, a yeah. lot
1: more siblings, and, and eventually a lot more problems mm-hmm. when it comes to succession. So my sister, uh, so growing up, I mean, my sister, the, there's naturally a big gap in in in. Um, she's eleven years my older, my senior, sorry. And for the longest time, my already my sister already said that she did not want to have anything mm. to do with the family business. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's uh, a housewife in in London now. So yeah. for the longest time, my dad knew like, hey Ben, Ben, Ben's yeah. Ben's my only chance, right? I'm, yeah. So yeah. he started priming the pump early on, um, and that's when all these kind of learnings and sharings that that uh, that came into play, right? Did Did you feel? Um, I mean, because like I,
0: I have an older sister too. I'm the youngest, right? And I I, I always felt more comfortable because someone was older paving the way. Now, she made it clear she didn't want... the Your sister made it clear that she didn't want the family business to continue with her. Did that put pressure on you then? Or you were just not really aware of what that meant?
1: Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's more like it. I wasn't cognizant of the, of the mm-hmm. gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I always knew that that this... I wouldn't say it's my birthright. That's definitely not not, not the right word, but... It, it, that, you know, me adopting a, a managerial position and eventually leading this company would, would be uh, the, the preferred kind of pathway for me that my, my dad had set up. So you thought
0: that quite early on then? Yes, yeah. Why did you think that was the preferred versus, uh, you know, venturing out or rebelling?
1: Um, part of it, I think, uh, it started off as obligation, I think. Mm. Uh, I, I think it, it <clears throat> uh, thinking about it now, I think it was initially an obligation to my father about, mm. uh, doing, doing, doing the right thing by him. Okay. Which, which I thought at that time would be to carry on the family business mm-hmm. and to, to, um, help the business, you know, grow and, and, uh, to ensure that the business survives Mm -hmm. the second generation, the Mm -hmm. third generation. How
0: was that instilled in you? Do you think?
1: It's the fact that my dad's personal values, Mm -hmm. is very much translated into the, 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 the values of the company. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think growing up now that I'm thinking about it, you know, uh, I I didn't really see a, a differentiation between mm. between Parman and my family. Mm. Perhaps Paramount was just an extension of the family mm-hmm. in many ways. So yeah. it was never foreign to me. Okay, the the idea. So just it was just part of who you are, and I'm just going to yeah. do this,
0: right? Yeah, so very natural. Yeah.
1: So, was, but but uh, over the years, don't get me wrong. I I don't see it as an obligation anymore. And very mm-hmm. much, I see it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I. As you, you go through this world and you understand that I'm in a very pri- privileged position that not yeah. many people have yeah. an opportunity to, to, to be in. So, uh, I owe it to myself to make the best out of the situation, yeah. right? Yeah. And to, to, and, and, and honestly, this gives, um, uh, it's a recent realization that, you know, if I do go on to, to lead this company, um, I have a lot of autonomy that, that might not be afforded to me otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas with, if you went out to do things yourself, there's other constraints and other people you have to report to. Um, you can't really fully always do what you want. Yeah. Right. Um, so with that in mind, you graduated in 2010. But you only joined the family business till 2012. Was what were you doing between those two years?
1: <laughs> uh, I took a break. Um, mm. So uh, I graduated in 2010. Um, I, I, I stayed with my sister in London for, for like six months or so before coming back to Malaysia. Mm, okay. I think by then it was already 2011.
0: So uh, you, were, you were taking advantage of the one-year
1: visa you get after No, I was just no, You're just chilling. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was just okay. Hanging okay. out with my my nieces and my nephew. Nice. Um, so I came back and and I went through I started looking for a job. Um, yeah. And uh I had I had I had a few offers lined up. Um a few with uh one with uh, with a consulting firm, a pretty big one of that. Um and uh I, it just didn't really speak to me. So mm. so so my dad said, "Hey, why don't you stop wasting your time <laughs> and just come work for the company for a bit until you find what you want to do." Okay. Uh and, uh, little did I know that, that, that uh, <laughs> that's how he trapped you. Yeah, yeah, that there was no way out. And honestly, I, I do believe that that was my first uh mistake in my professional career. Oh
0: really? So you consider that a mistake?
1: Yes. Um in the sense that uh I didn't know that I didn't have this kind of flexibility. Mm. Uh by, by you know, I, I, I've been with the company ever since I joined. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't yeah. really have the chance to step back. What I wanted to do was perhaps to have, get to derive an understanding of the business before going back out to really gain a bit more exposure mm. and, and structure. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have that opportunity to, um, so given, given the opportunity again, I would have loved to take that, op- the, 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 the offer I had on the table, mm. you know, work for a couple of years, yeah. establish a good understanding of how to work. Yeah. Uh, I think that was that was a big thing that I for you know um for mm. that i that I didn't necessarily get when I joined the the paramount group straight away yeah. because um you know it it became a question of accountability yes I had yes, no one yes. um over me uh, and I think because of who I am you know people were afraid to really lay down the law with me right mm, yeah, so i yeah. was left to my own devices and not until i was able to re kind of reorient my my um my perspective was i be able to was i able to find the kind of motivation and drive to be able to to bring myself to be a valuable contributor to, to mm-hmm. the company yeah. i think if i was if i went there and took a, a job uh elsewhere I would have had that grounding that was. You
0: would have been accountable to something for sure. Beyond yourself. in terms of yeah.
1: accountability, and, and in in terms of just learning how to work, right?
0: That's you know that's a very good point, and do you, I don't know if you noticed too when you start hiring younger people, is this a big theme and a big problem?
1: Yeah, and and <laughs> I,
0: and or maybe we're just getting
1: old. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a bit of that. Um, yeah, and look, I I honestly thought that. What I had experienced was perhaps a problem of privilege mm. but i i uh, um as, as I go older now, I see it as more of a problem of our generation of the millennials mm. right mm-hmm. um I, I think a lot of us are too soft, too coddled and and um you know haven't had the kind of necessary kind of life experiences to be able to, for us to be hardy kind mm-hmm. of people,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd have to agree. Like I, if I hadn't had my early, um, crazy experience of rocket internet, I wouldn't have understood that value. And the first thing, you know, um, when you join that organization, at least early days, when the culture was more hardcore, they try to stamp out anything that's right considered a quote unquote weak. Yeah. Right. Because there's a mission, there's, there's values, and you have to really just, you know, be laser focused and just, you know, drive to it. Otherwise yeah. you really will not achieve what you want. And, um, and I, you know, what I found challenging was how do you... Inst- you know, know that you were probably being too soft and you need to be harder, right? But then how do you instill that into who you work with and a culture you build? And when is it too hard and when is it too soft?
1: Uh, I think it all comes down to leading by example. Yeah. Um, I, I personally went through this whole process of, uh, of, uh, of finding who I am, understanding the value that I can bring to the company, and being able to um, to to um, pivot the way I look at work in order for it to be aligned to my value system so yeah. that I can you know have that kind of motivation and that drive to succeed yeah because don't get me wrong don't don't get me wrong um, i mean i can I could have the opportunity to be a a <sighs> i I wouldn't like to say this but you know a spot rich kid right yeah where I, I can just, uh, sit back, collect the, 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 check, the, the dividends every yeah. year and yeah. I can live a very, very, uh, happy life. Um, yeah. I myself not, not a very, um, kind of, I, I am a very simple guy. Yeah. I don't, you don't need much to be happy. Yeah. I don't need much to be happy. So yeah. that, that could have been, that could have been, you know, a route that I could have taken very yeah. easily, but, um, through my own, through my years of experience, uh, self-discovery, I've, I've managed to really, um, develop a sense of motivation and drive, um, from within that, that I now try to, uh, instill in, in, in my yeah. team and my colleagues. Yeah. I really like that, that example. Um,
0: and I, cause I noticed as many founders that if, if they're going through a rough patch, whatever you do, the team will feel right away. They'll see it and it affects how they perform, right? So if if you can, f- and I guess, you know, like you said, the best answer to this is probably leading by example. If you want to instill a culture that's, you know, really hardworking or, you know, pushing and driving, you have to do it yourself every day and show it to them. But then that, I guess that begs to the question, you know, where does that motivation come from for you? Like motivation is a powerful thing. And once you can identify it, you can use it to to attain success and solve hard problems, right? So for you, what is this motivation? Where does it come from?
1: I think first of all, before you can uh, understand what motivates yourself, is to understand who you are. Like, uh, mm, that's uh, a good point. understand your identity. Right? Yeah. Um, and like I said, when I first started work, I did not have a identity, a, a strong enough identity to peg myself against. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lost in many ways because, like I said, I didn't come from a technical background. I'm not an engineer. Yeah. I'm not an architect. You know, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't contribute to the business in mm-hmm. that way. Nor nor am I a uh, finance guy or accounting guy, right? So mm. in the traditional business sense, I didn't Correct. have that kind of grounding right. and yeah. foundation. I was this idealistic kid that I wanted to, <laughs> to to save the world, right? Yeah. Um. So it, it took me a while um, through my own process of self discovery to understand who I am, and from there, once I had a, a better understanding of, of of who I am, what I stand for, I was able to. Um, reorient my my business goals yeah. and uh, to, to fit my personality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But
0: what I think is really important when you say that is, and I think maybe a lot of people might, I'm guessing from looking from the outside in. So I'm guessing that a lot of people in that position, what ends up happening is because they don't have a strong enough identity, what they will do is compare themselves to what's nearest to them, which would be the patriarch. Yeah. And yeah. then you're forever living against an impossible ideal and not becoming your own self. Yeah. And you won't develop yourself. No, and I mean, that was yeah.
1: exactly the, the case that I was in, right? Okay. I, yeah. I was living in my dad's shadow, you know, this is my, this is someone who, who, um, made it by himself, you know, managed yeah. to grow this com- company into a, 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 1B revenue company every yeah. year. And, and it was such a daunting task for me, right? How do I step out of my dad's shadow, right? Yeah. Uh, in many ways, I tried to. To emulate him, but mm-hmm. now I understand that I, I I need to strike my own path. Yeah, right? I have the opportunity yeah. and know how now to.
0: It's it's it leads it ties back to what your uncle told you when you were young. Yeah, right. You know, uh, you have to fight because of this quote unquote maybe uh, what do you, defect he call he call it weakness or something. Yeah, right? gaps, gaps, gaps. Right. Gaps, right? Yeah. You you had to find your own path and your own strengths, and your own compliments and become your own self to know how to kind of fit in, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I guess that that's probably the whole journey, especially with the whole identity exercise so i guess if you're in that position you know it would be good to take a step back to see you know how to what degree are you comparing yourself to another ideal or are you trying to find your own path and you know like you said then how does that actually play into how you inject that into the business to create value
1: and 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 i I see that now amongst my peers um yeah you and i are are friends with with many people in family business and i see a lot of my peers and my friends struggling with this, yes. with this exact uh, yeah. scenario whereby yeah. how do I replicate the success of my father? Right. Yeah. Do I have to? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and like I said, it, it's that, that rich kid mentality, right? Mm. How do you bring yourself out of this mm-hmm. uh, vicious cycle in yeah. many ways and, yeah. and to really derive um, a form of self-motivation that, yeah. that, that doesn't allow you to, that, that, doesn't require you to, uh, be defined by this, right? Yeah. 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 yeah basically, yeah. because, you know, a lot of these kids, they have everything mm. already, right? Correct. There, there is no, there is no hunger. There yes. is no motivation to go yeah. out and, and do something yeah.
0: on their own. Yeah. And I, I guess uh, that probably. Of course, part of it is your, your, your nature for introspection, but also maybe tying back to what you studied. Mm. Probably, probably also helps tie in Definitely, how yeah. you could maybe think from a different perspective, you yeah. know, like different narrative and persona. Right? For sure. Um, so maybe you could help describe your working relationship. So I guess it's, I guess it's a lot easier than I thought it would be. Um, your older sisters out of the picture, but that means, um, the patriarch and my matriarch. How do you describe that working relationship with your family? Um, and you know, how do you go about
1: handling it? Yeah, um, good question. I I I've always I have I had a. Uh Let me start that again. My 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 relationship with my father has always been good, but it's always been a bit difficult for us uh, to kind of strike strike the right balance between work and personal life, uh, because we yeah. were both. I, I wear the hat of a son mm-hmm. and and also as an employee yes um, at all times yeah and my father conversely also is double hatting right so um trying to find that right kind of balance as a father figure as well as a, a kind of a leader yes. is uh, was uh, was a challenge for him and for me as well on the other side. Mm-hmm. How do I um, strike the right balance to, yeah. in order to, to to derive learnings from from mm-hmm. uh, you know um, from my dad on when, whenever he's wearing both hats. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I definitely have to hand it to my dad was he had the foresight to understand the the need to professionalize the company. Mm-hmm. And and he did that very early on. I think that is due in part to me being the only option (laughs) heir per se. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So there was a a definite need to professionalize that company, Mm -hmm. and in many ways, that has kind of created a a a nice framework for for my relationship with my dad. So I guess uh, professionalization
0: would you say, then say comparing to your peers is that not as common or is it more common and if you look maybe to the west that's probably exactly what happened with all these generational companies they just own all the shares but they don't even touch the business yeah yeah so is that the same thing locally then
1: I think this is what you've seen in in Europe right yes. which has traditionally been uh the, one of the more developed kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh Business ecosystems where you have a lot of family-run businesses that are yeah. entering now third, even fourth generations. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in 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 Asia or in uh, Malaysia specifically, we're, in, we're not as mature. We're not yeah. there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your question about whether this professionalization is is being adopted by many other family businesses, yeah, I, I can't say that that I see that being adopted. Um, across the board, actually. Yeah. And I, I think you might be able to speak to it because you've been part of a family mm-hmm. business as well. Yeah. And this is something that I wanted to speak to you about Now, <laughs> yeah. I was hoping that you can share because sure. it, it, it's funny because um, in Asia, I think a lot of business is still driven by family business. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that, and I can see the dichotomy between a, a more corporatized business versus a family business. Yeah. And it's... it's um, it's very interesting to see the different kind of dynamics that come into play yeah. and how they fit all together in, in yeah. within the whole business ecosystem yeah.
2: Yeah. in Malaysia.
0: Um, I mean, yeah, my experience, is, it's only limited to, to one experience, um, but I think I would argue it's probably more family-driven from what I understood as an outsider and what others were telling me. Um, and sometimes some direct experience. Mm. So uh, it's... You know, it's, uh, it's very tough when it's somewhat professionalized, but also still very family-driven. And I think the relationships are more complex, of what I've noticed. Yeah. And it's a whole separate set of challenges than, say, maybe from um, your experience where it's professionalized early on with clear plans. Whereas, you know, in other films, it might be a black box or say, you know, my last interview with Kevin Tan with Europe Car and Sicily. That one was an even looser framework, which has, you know, advantages where people don't have frictions, but then there's no really synergies either. Um, in the sense when it's too spread out, right? Yeah. And then it's, then it's a free for all, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. Family business is very nuanced. Definitely. Because
1: there, there are so many different kinds of of relationships that come into play and and a lot of different considerations that normally, wouldn't be part of the conversation when it comes to business, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. and, and it's, I, I, I really don't know what the future will hold for the fi- kind of like family business approach. Um, especially as we enter a more globalized kind of world. Yeah. Um, although, although I, 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 having said that, you know, I really can't see there being a big change within the next 10, 15, 20 yeah. years yeah. in at least how businesses are operated within Malaysia
0: it and i think that depends on you know how fast succession takes over and the nature of how it takes over
1: yes yeah, yeah. um and you're starting to see that now um as a lot of a lot of uh family businesses especially in malaysia um are going through this uh succession planning Yes. and eventual succession um mm-hmm. i think we see that with a lot of family businesses now yeah uh, and and that represents the biggest threat and the biggest risk to correct. the longevity of yes. a of a business. Because
0: yes. um, we all, we all know the stats from Harvard and whatnot, yeah. right? I think after three generations, is when you lose like ninety percent of the wealth. Yep. Right? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's so something like, like, like this. Ninety-five percent of family
1: businesses don't make it past the third generation. Yes. Correct. Correct. So, for for me, I, I mean, I take it as that this is my responsibility to for for me to position. <laughs> Paramount for many generations of yeah. of succession. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean I don't I don't know what the right, right way forward is, but <laughs> yeah. I, I take that on as, as my yeah. my my role. And I mean this is no this is something no one else can do, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so
0: I have a unique question. Um this is coming from one of my friends, also from a family business. He has seen that ch- like this kind of pattern where in the family, sometimes the young I mean, in this case, I didn't know this about you earlier. You had an older sibling, but he said that he noticed that younger siblings have a tendency to be more business savvy. Do you find this to be true? Ooh, I don't think so, actually. I think about all your acquaintances, friends. Yeah, I don't think so. You don't think so?
1: I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I think that's a massive general, generalization and it might not.
0: It might be just his experience, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, to that point, I think, uh, 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 as you might know already, there are many studies that, that have been released recently that that goes to show that the order of birth have a has a bigger determining factor in in your outcome in your life wow. than gender. Yeah, yeah. Um, so me as a <laughs> me <laughs> uh, me as the youngest kid, um, I, I was very spot, I was the, yeah. the only boy in the family. Right? Yeah, in yeah. The Asian families, you know. Yes for better or worse like guys get a good
0: experience (laughs) yeah
1: Um, so my personal experience is that I I was very sheltered in that sense and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there wasn't there wasn't necessarily an onus for me to develop a certain sense of business acumen or or to get entrenched in the family business early on so that that wasn't that wasn't developed in me at Mm -hmm. a young age Um, I had to really develop that myself yeah
0: okay and then well let's let's say if you have this dynamic where the younger sibling um let's just say hypothetically or maybe you do know someone like this where the the younger sibling is more business savvy but then the older one's calling the shots how would you deal with that
1: (laughs) um i wouldn't know i wouldn't know i wouldn't know Uh, i think each and every case is very different specific to to the to that that what's happening there um You definitely see that happening. Mm -hmm. I think we both can speak to that. Uh, I think a lot of, when it comes to succession, it's very important for the family to set out, at least uh, have have a a family charter in place or something that that kind of outlines the framework for succession. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the old notion of giving it to the eldest son is... Mm. I think it's becoming more archaic and, yes. and even family businesses understand now that they need to adopt a more meritocratic yeah. approach to it.
0: More dynamic. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and I think you, you're seeing that play out now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, what happens between the siblings then? I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, uh, thankfully, I'm not in that. So position. luckily, you have a nice yeah.
0: older yes. relationship with your yeah. sister, and it just worked out really well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, what kind of model would you... so based off your experience with your your mother and your father, who are you know head of the family and a business, what kind of model would you follow and give advice to other people treading waters on how to figure out this good balance?
1: Hmm. I think, uh, open and honest, conv- uh, communication is, is number one. Right. Um, mm. and it's, it, it, it is the responsibility of, of the patriarch or not, or not necessarily patriarch. Right. But, yeah. but the, Whoever, whoever's the owner, whoever's yeah. the owner yeah. to, to, at least to get all the different family stakeholders, uh, in one place and sit down and then create a framework, right. Mm. For understanding the business and understanding the family's role in the mm-hmm. business. Um, is it going to be led by professionals? Um, are the professionals coming in for a, a predetermined amount of time yeah. to allow for for proper training exercise session or is is the approach that hey we want to professionalize the whole company the the um, family members come in on a more advisory role mm. a strategic role mm-hmm. um, it, it all depends i think yeah I, th- I don't think there is one right way forward um, but what's important is is for the the business owner, the family leader, or, um, to to actually bring everyone to one place and yeah. to establish a common understanding of how to approach things.
0: Essentially, what you kind of told me earlier, uh, what was it CGE, but maybe for a family layer. Oh, ESG, <laughs> ESG, yes. ESG. Yeah. yeah. So maybe having a, a separate layer. F- how the family is dictated in its relation to the business and how you govern. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of like a constitution of sorts. Yes. Yes. Okay. So when you first joined the company, then how, how did you balance the old and new world of cultures? Right. So in in one of my last interviews with, with uh, Kevin, he was telling me he was the young guy coming in. Mm. I studied in the West. Yeah. I know best. Yeah. Right. So you should follow me. This is what they do in the West. Right. Um. So how do you balance, you know, Valuing that older culture versus the new culture and how do you maybe blend them in to make it actually work?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a process that takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I came into work, I I, I made it a, a deliberate point not to rock the boat too much. Mm. Um, I definitely have my own views of how to run things, yes. of of what I would do uh, if and when yeah. the time arises for me to, to, to step up. Uh, and to lead the company. But, um, I understand it's a gradual process. You can't bring about a huge change overnight. So it's, it's paying respect to, to, to the groundwork that your father or or the The business owner set in place. And, 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 um, And then making small incremental changes.
0: Where does that wisdom come from? Because to be honest, I think most people, even if it's not a family business, you come into a new environment, your idea is to make a mess because I had this experience in the past. This is better. Follow. Right. So why did you have a different approach?
1: It's not in my personality to impose my will on, on, okay. on others. Mm-hmm. Um, it never has been. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 would, I, I would like to think of myself as a very democratic kind of inclusive kind of person. Mm-hmm. The way I manage as well, um, I'm always one to, to consult and seek information from others before making a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, although with the whole pandemic and everything that's come about, I, one of the main skill sets that I've, I've derived is being able to, Ha, uh, to make snap decisions and have yeah. like, confidence in that, right? Yeah. Um, but to your point, you know, I, I I've never been uh, that kind of person to really impose my mm-hmm. will. I, I I'm quite methodical in in how I think, and yeah. uh, I like to sit back, kind of uh, absorb information, analyze before mm, before acting
0: acting. Okay, so then we touched upon this earlier, right? We we talked about how how important motivation was, how that ties to identity, how that drives probably a lot of things uh, when you're coming to your family business. So then, what exactly is your motivation? Where does it come from? You know, knowing that you have a safety net, mm. how do you get that hunger? Right, and, and what is it? Where does it come from?
1: Right. it's from the understanding of um, like I said of, you, of who you are who your identity is and I think my and, and I say I think because mm-hmm. I am st- I, I still am not certain right but what I believe that my role in society is is to help others mm-hmm. um, and and I don't want to try to position myself as some, <laughs> someone overly noble but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually where I derive a lot of of um, accomplishment and fulfillment from mm-hmm. um, being able to to um, you know, help someone uh, grow them and develop them and mm. put them on the right path. Yeah. So the, it's essentially what you're saying is you have to
0: understand yourself. Uh, that ties, which ties to identity, and in that process, knowing your values and then acting out on the values because that's going to what's going to give you fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. And in your case, it's the human side. Yes. Uh, it's making change, growing other people, and having impact. Yeah. I, I am yeah. a relationship-driven yes. person. Yeah.
1: Um, and that, that, like I said, that's where I derive my yeah. fulfillment in life. Yeah. Um, and that I can only have that understanding. Uh, I, I only was able to establish that understanding once yeah. I knew myself. Yeah. And that, that, that came about through a whole process of, of mm-hmm. self-discovery, right?
0: Yeah. And I guess uh, that could also be corrupted because people don't go through that journey. They might uh, attach it to things that maybe are more destructive, like maybe just being purely money true P- sure. power right sure. i mean those are also powerful motivators too you know it, it, but you know oh, huge yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but sometimes they only will get you so far and then you you get stuck so i guess the, the deeper introspection so if you are looking for motivation it has to be beyond those things those are useful tools yeah. you should probably use them if it doesn't yeah. make you excited or gets what you want but it's like you said what will give you fulfillment and a lot of those things are empty possibly yeah right? i
1: mean ultimately my goal now is to be able to put myself, put my loved ones in a place where we can all live a full, engaged life, yeah. right? Whatever that means. Um, yeah. and, and and for me, money, financial success, uh, uh, is not, it's not a main motivator. Mm. Of, of course it's nice, right? Yes. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I understand now that I, I cannot orient my life to that because it, uh, if I do, I'll, I'll get lost and I'll mm. g- get off track, right? Yeah. Um, but as long as, as I always have my value systems in the top of my mind uh, and be able to orient my life through yeah. my value, through my value system, I'd be able to live a fulfilled mm-hmm. and, and engaged mm-hmm. life.
0: Okay. So then you're, you're you talk briefly about succession planning and it was being professionalized very early on. Um, does that mean there's a very good framework in place and how it's handled? Is there like step one, two, three, is it more looser? Let's see and go how you do, or how's, how's your family approached
1: it? So I can only, I, I honestly I can only speak to my own experiences. Right? Yes. I, I I don't really know what my peers and, and other family businesses are doing. Um, I, I have some glimpses into what mm-hmm. in, into what they do. Yeah, I think for the most part, most um, family businesses when they start thinking about succession, um, like I said, a family charter is put in place. Yes. that's that's number one, and I think that is a commonality. Across the board. Uh, okay. Which yeah. is, which is good. Uh, yeah. I don't know whether you, you've had similar experiences, but mm. in that family charter, it would, it should establish the framework for succession, right? Yeah. Certain things have to be achieved before moving up, mm. uh, or certain, uh, certain kind of milestones that, that needs to be hit before they're up for, mm-hmm. for consideration. Yes. For myself, um, it wasn't so structured in that sense because, like I said, it was only me. Yeah. So, um, I, I my father and as well as the management team just took it on as a very personalized approach. Mm. Um, through my own self discovery, I was able to relay, uh, to them what works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so, so good communication, good communication. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, and for me, I think one part of it is, is is for me to establish that that own self uh, that level of self-awareness that was very important for mm-hmm. me yeah um in order for me to communicate effectively to to the manager and to my father to uh, establish the right kind of structure for, for yeah. my my own personal development mm-hmm. so with that in
0: mind then um what are your thoughts on maintaining the generational wealth how, how important is that and uh, how's that going to affect how you move going forward Never really thought
1: about that. Actually, um,
0: might be a good time, huh? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Look, uh, don't get me wrong. I would love to be able to 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 keep that wealth within my family and to grow it. Right? Yes, of course. Um, but to what to what extent do I want to keep that wealth? Right? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, you know, you see people like Bill Gates, mm-hmm. uh, other other. Um, Multi billionaires now pledging the the majority of their yes of their wealth uh, yeah. to to charitable causes, um, and although that's very noble, uh, <laughs> it, this is something that that might not fly for most uh, Asian family businesses, right? Mm-hmm. So and and of course, I still obviously have to to. Uh, Keep in mind what my father wants for the company mm-hmm. and, and for the business, because ultimately him as 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 the founder, as the patriarch.
0: As respecting what he's done. It's a level of respect,
1: right? Yes. Yeah. Um, to that point, you know, if I can, you know, to that point, if I can provide for my family, if I can provide for my children's children, You're happy? I'm more than happy, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Whatever that level may be. Whatever that yeah. level may be. That's, that's a good answer. So let's, let's take one foot out of the family world. And we'll keep one foot in because I don't think you can fully remove it. And let's talk about collapse. Yeah. So... um when you first started Collabs back in 2000, I guess was it 2016 that it was brewing, or yeah,
1: I'll, I'll first uh, yeah, working fell into my lap 2016. We opened our first center in 2017. Mm-hmm.
0: So, did you think about the possible damage you could have caused by risking a new venture like Collabs to the Paramount Corporation?
1: So, this is something that I have to uh, uh, um, give it to my to the management as my father. I think they they understood that. Giving me this opportunity to start a, a, a brand from ground zero yeah. and build it from scratch uh, it, uh, allowed for a huge potential growth. And yeah. I think they saw it as a nice balance between uh, risking potential reputational issues mm. as well as my, my own development.
0: In a sense, you had to pitch them as investors then.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So it's
0: like almost going to a VC and saying, I have this idea. Um, and they treat it as such or
1: essentially. Yeah. 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 And we, we are still very much operating like a startup. We're very, very lean. We have, uh, 20 packs operating four different locations.
0: That's very lean. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's very (laughs) lean. Uh, and, and we're taking a very, very prudent approach to our, Mm -hmm. to our, um, growth. And I I guess,
0: um, you know, I I was going to ask that later, but we could talk about it now. It's like, so that that lean approach and the prudence, um, this must be rooted in your business philosophy, I guess.
1: Yeah, and in my father's DNA as an okay. Asian Chinese businessman who's done it that, before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we've always been a very uh, pragmatic company when it comes to, to growth. <laughs> it, okay, and and, yeah. and I think I think this the whole notion of growth at all costs is a very new notion, right? That that's that's when that's only been really uh, expounded uh, over the past ten fifteen years, yeah. right? Yeah. When we've seen huge VC money coming in, yeah, and and where when when a lot of VC money or big uh, enterprise money comes in, the question has then merged from creating a sustainable business to growing the enterprise value of all these kind of yes, companies, right? correct? Which. Not, it doesn't have a, a direct correlation to creating a sustainable business. It's the one that endures. Yeah. Um, it,
0: it, yeah. So like I guess this is where you would have to fall in one of these other camps. But, you know, I guess it, where it doesn't work out is when people misunderstand it. But in some cases, it's uh, possible that it can work out to something enduring, uh, at least to a certain scale. Yeah. Uh, like, so, that, for example, of LinkedIn, then it was eventually acquired because yeah. it couldn't take the next level, or YouTube, right? Um, or you know, I guess it's, it's still a question to be answered, though. But for like something like Uber, mm. will will that endure for the next few decades? Yeah. Right. And will it actually trend live up to the promises of what it's saying of, you know, unlocking technology to really capture? And then in a sense, that would be justifying, you know, growth at all costs.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? I, th- I think the growth at all costs model has come under more scrutiny over the past couple yeah. of years. As, as you, yes. As you
0: know, P- probably as we'll talk about later, like we work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And which, which I mean, I guess you would have to think about where they came from and how I, I think certain Silicon Valley companies that are successful with growth at all costs kind of still endure for now, at least. Whereas, you know, the, I think the SoftBank approach was to go top down, right. Uh, Instead of, you know, iterating at different risk levels and then taking massive money and then scaling it further. Right. So, um, but that, that has, story has already played out. So, but I guess, you know, um, the approach of Paramount and Collabs was to, but I mean, at the same time, it almost seems antithesis, right? Like, old property developer but still doing something new like mm. um uh co-working space right yeah. so uh, how how did you go about managing the risks and thinking about that to allow you to do something seemingly really innovative but even though you said it's yeah. conservative
1: so um so c- the co-working business uh it all started when I had the the innovation portfolio under my belt. Mm-hmm. So I was tasked with leading the the innovation team, whereby my my mandate was to look at businesses and technologies that run parallel to our two core businesses of education and property. Yeah. So, uh, with that mandate, I kind of went out in the markets to, to really, uh, understand and see what else is, uh, it was out there. Um, and then co-working was the one that kind of naturally mm-hmm. fit in quite well mm-hmm. with our core expertise, which is in development. Yeah. Um, as well as it being a complementary property product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so, so, uh, very quickly, um, when I discovered what co-working was, and obviously, but then the WeWork had already taken SoftBank money. And yes, correct. it was.
0: It was it's massive, right?
1: Yeah, it was massive, and it was deriving a lot of these uh, really high valuations, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, backed by SoftBank, um, and I'm not gonna lie, that 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 played a big part in why we de- why I decided to propose uh, the the co-working uh, business. Because it Feels a little safer. Feels a little safer for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that I looked at it is that, you know, uh, the, the, it, I would be able to grow a company uh, or at, at least with the expertise that we've had. We know we have the, the construction expertise. Yes. We have the um, network to be able to establish all these kind of businesses. Mm-hmm. And if I can... If by just doing so and put, putting on a tech layer and part, yeah. I would be able to derive crazy kind of valuations. Mm. I thought that would be uh, a way that we could have a quick kind of exit as well. So you
0: also think about that way. For sure. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: But, but, um, <laughs> I, I think, I think now every, that the, the WeWork IPO has kind of played out. Mm. Uh, we understand now that the valuation set was, uh, untenable. Yeah. Right? Um, and so-
0: sobering. Right?
1: Yeah. Very, very sobering. So. So thankfully, at least with, with Colabs, um, our, I mean, our unit economics makes sense and there's a very clear path to profitability for mm-hmm. all our spaces. Mm-hmm. Two out of our uh, four spaces are already profitable mm-hmm. and with the other two, hopefully reaching profitability within a mm-hmm. year.
0: So, so two things about that. Um, when, when you first got the role of director of innovation, I know this is going to sound kind of bad. Did this? Did your father give you this position with the intent of actually innovating, or was this something for you just to do, and he didn't expect you to actually turn something out?
1: (laughs) I think he was hopeful. (laughs) Something might might happen, and and and, you know, this is something that I've always expressed my interest. Like I said to you before, um, when I first entered the the company, I I didn't didn't know where my value my value lay, right? Um, So, given this portfolio, I think it just provided me with the flexibility and the and just the the freedom to to explore yeah. what i wanted and that in itself really empowered me yeah a lot right mm-hmm. um so i think that was great and and um i think to your question i think my dad was hopeful that i was able to to bring something out mm-hmm. of it and thankfully, you know, uh, you yeah. spawn a couple yeah. of good ideas out there. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, you know, and if you, I, I've been studying like, uh, the path to, to CEO of Fortune 500 companies, this kind of thing. And what, what you do notice is that the most pivotal moments in the career is when they take a step back to do something inside the company to, to innovate, to kind of be an entrepreneur and then do a new venture that was never done before, a new business segment. And, you know, if they succeed, usually it propels them to taking over yeah. the company. So, yeah. so in a sense, it was a big bet um and you kind of rose to the challenge i
1: I think i think it's a wise bet and um at at least for me it uh it doesn't sit right for me as we enter uh you know uh, as we as we are now deep in the 21st century um for us to be a purely brick and mortar business Mm. um it it just doesn't sit right with me um you know Every year, our margins on the property development side is shrinking. <laughs> yes. Um, due, due to, to increased labor costs, everything to, yeah. to raw material costs, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we need to, uh, I, I, I've taken it as my responsibility to really understand what the next 15 years of growth will look like for Paramount. Yeah. It will probably, uh, it will probably be a combination of our core property of development course. business. Yeah. Um, alongside some digital assets, digital assets,
0: and a little bit of continuing with expansion too. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what would have happened if Collabs was a massive failure?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I think that would have destroyed my confidence. <laughs> man, uh, um, thankfully, you know, yeah. I, I was I was given the opportunity to make my own mistakes, and that yeah. that, that spurred a lot of growth for me. Um, yeah being able to derive learnings from Mm -hmm. from failures is is one of the key things to to any person's development Mm -hmm. um and i for i I don't know whether it was planned by by management but it allowed me to fail and allowed me to fail early Mm -hmm. on and Mm -hmm. that that at least helped me develop that kind of resilience and, and yeah. perseverance that is required to mm-hmm. be a business leader.
0: I feel it's almost like a great model if you have a family business to uh, allow this kind of internal innovation to happen, yeah, to, yeah. to to kind of put them through what the founder went through when he first started.
1: I, I think the key thing here is empowerment, right? Yes. What yes. worked for my dad and his own development might not work for me, Correct. right? We're yes. in vastly different kind of scenarios. Yeah. Um, so trying to be able to simulate That kind of uh, of urgency, that Mm -hmm. that uh, 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 the the kind of um, ballpark that my my, my dad was playing in, it Mm -hmm. was great for my own development as well. Mm -hmm. Put me through that kind of trials and tribulations that my dad went through.
0: How did you manage the different personas then, or 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 did did you not really change persona from fully owning collabs as like a a founder, right, to to reporting to a boss in corporate?
1: Yeah, um, so that that that's funny. Uh, being the person who I am, you know, my uh, the 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 child of the founder has always presented a weird dynamic between myself and many of my colleagues and my peers. Mm-hmm. And um, it was weird, uh, especially someone that's fresh out of fresh out of uni. I was immediately placed in corporate HQ, right, where mm-hmm. the the average age here is. Yeah. Forty plus, there's <laughs> yeah. uh, no one in my uh, of my age group to to really mingle and, and to mm-hmm. learn from, um, and that kind of uh, and that, that that was also affected how um, affected my relationships with others. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot a lot of people are a bit more guarded around me, mm. and a lot more um, mindful of what they say. Mm-hmm. So, given the opportunity to. Um, grow and develop my own team at Colabs was really great because I was able to understand my own management style mm-hmm. to really branch out and and mm-hmm. to do something out of the scope of my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, so that that helped me understand yeah. the value that I can bring to this company yeah. and, and what my role moving forward was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way has also allowed me to really have an understanding of how I interact with uh, my peers and my colleagues in a in, in the setting. in the paramount ecosystem as well,
0: right? Yeah. So that's like the, the next question, right? So, like, you have this setting of corporate and cult and startups cultures. They, they often will be clashing. So it's like you said. So for now, it sounds like they're kind of separate, right? Uh, how, how will you go about approach to aligning it to make it more cohesive, which I think would probably be very, important right
1: yeah um we are taking that we've taken the first steps uh in into really integrating the co-working business to our property business mm-hmm. this year um and uh it, it's it's a teething process obviously um uh a lot of my my colleagues at colabs come from the startup world mm-hmm. um Whereby you know you're used to operating on a very lean structure, mm-hmm. yeah. everything's a bit touch and go. You have to be very nimble, mm-hmm. versus a very uh, mature business. Yeah. Whereby there's a lot, a lot, lots of bureaucracy. As being a public listed company, there's all that kind of reporting that comes into place. Yes, very different um, feel. Very, very different feel. So, um, I, I take it as a great opportunity for me to learn both different kind of. Um, uh aspects of of business and and now trying to melt these two together to have a kind of a cohesive mm-hmm. um, uh, ecosystem I guess like it's like you said uh, I guess the
0: starting point would be to start uh, leading it by example to mm-hmm. show the culture. And I guess in some aspects, you have to be more explicit, I guess, you know, uh, if, if is having challenges being guarded around you, you probably have to open up to them first, right? Yeah. And, and, and this yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's probably a process that will take I mean, time. I mean,
1: the, the whole part about, um, kind of developing these kind of strong working relationships and stuff, it, it, it's, it's a lot easier on the collab side because I'm the one doing the hiring. These are the guys, these are my guys, right? Yeah. I don't have that kind of weird mm. dynamics. Um, Especially for, 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 on the Paramount side, we actually have a very strong track record with, um, long serving stuff. Mm. We've got a lot of people here that have been here 20 years. Multi decade. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys are, th- these guys might be in Iran before I was born and of them <laughs> yeah. have seen me grow up. Yeah. So it, it, it's a learning process and, yeah. and something that I'm still Try going through out. and trying to figure out. Um, oh, yeah. but uh, as, as time goes by, and I've been as I've been able to really articulate my value, um, being able to articulate my vision for the company, yeah. it has made things a lot yeah. easier, right? They they yeah. don't see me less so as, as yeah. Ben. Uh, 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 the son of the yeah, founder, but yeah. rather Ben, my colleague that does this, this, yes.
0: and this. Who basically someone who became their own person, yeah. their, their own, as their own human. And maybe you could send them this podcast. They'll get a different understanding of who yeah, you are so. and maybe they'll open up to you. Um, so maybe you could sell me very quickly the idea of co-working, right? So sell me the vision and uh, especially from an emotional standpoint, you know, like why, why co-working?
1: Okay. Why co-working? That's a good question. Um, I think, uh, the, the way offices have been set up, um, yeah. much like the classroom that like we were speaking to has not changed for the past 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, it might not fit the, the, um, how kind of companies of today and, and beyond are set up. Um, and this is, as a developer, I can speak to it because, A lot of traditional office leases, the long-term office leases are becoming harder and harder for us to to get now. Because in such a a volatile world, a lot of companies, even corporates, don't have the foresight to be able to to, uh, commit to a five-year lease, Mm -hmm. to a six-year lease. Um, that's something that's changing now, I guess. That, yeah, that's definitely something that's been changing, and there's something that, we, as as a developer, we've been facing for the past ten years. Mm, yeah, that's so a one, yeah. so I think early from early on, we understand that this this change was happening, and actually, co-working is is the perfect fit for for Malaysia because ninety eight point five percent of all businesses in Malaysia are SMEs.
2: Mm, yeah,
1: and these guys uh, are the ones that were traditionally either working out of home mm. working from cafes or yeah. working in a shop lot yes. somewhere you know mm-hmm. uh, on the third floor of, of like <laughs> Damansara town or, yeah, or yeah. PJ or something like that they didn't have access to proper business amenities business facilities um, and, and proper workstations um, so there was definitely uh, an opportunity there especially in Malaysia mm-hmm. and even th- and especially And our value proposition uh, of co-working has only been amplified due to the whole uh, pandemic and the Mm -hmm. COVID experience. Um, As you know, Mm -hmm. all companies around the world were forced to adopt a work-from-home approach and to adopt technology uh, to facilitate work-from-home, right?
0: So essentially accelerated the trends that were happening. And It
1: accelerated the trend of the decentralization of work. Um, What that would mean and what we are starting to see now is that uh, corporates or or companies might not need a a huge physical footprint anymore, Mm -hmm. but rather may may, uh, adopt uh, a a smaller uh, footprint for their headquarters and set up mini satellite or remote offices.
0: So I kind of want to get to the heart of that. I think it was started in part by covid Right, and I think part of that would be um, this this belief that uh, probably work is changing to a degree, right? But would you would you say it's fair to say that also that they're going to benefit because it's now a lower cost for them to have a smaller footprint and you know more flexibility, not as long-term lease, less investment in assets. I think
1: think the key word here is uh, flexibility, right? Um, By coming to a co-working space, you're afforded. Uh, you, number one, you're operating on shorter term leases. Yeah. So, uh, as a business owner, you have a bit more flexibility about where you go and how long your, your lease terms are, as well as you have a more flexibility over the kind of space that you require. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to scale up and to scale down quite easily as your businesses grow and, and expand. For corporates? Even for corporates. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Because wouldn't it be more, more or less fixed?
1: Um, so what, what we've set up for corporates is our, um, our enterprise solutions. Yeah. Whereby, um, they can either take up a anchor tenant spot in our, in our co-working spaces where we adopt a, 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 uh, custom approach to their fit up. Yeah. So we work with corporates early on before we set up a new space yeah. to, um, design and build a, a, a workspace for them that fits their needs yeah obviously they sign on a longer term uh contract than what mm-hmm. you normally do mm-hmm. uh, typically about two years and yeah. and um I think that, that really affords them the uh, the flexibility to be able to grow and expand. So they would take up, they would anchor a space and any incremental headcount that they might need, they can take up uh, additional headcount in, in, in on the co-working end.
0: Essentially, it's kind of like AWS before working space. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. in a sense. Um, how much of that is driven by the short-term idea that remote is viable versus an actual structural change in the labor market?
1: Um, I, I, I To that question, I think a big part of it is the structural change. Um, mm-hmm. Over the past 10 years, you've seen uh, the introduction of the gig economy. Mm-hmm. And that has really empowered a lot of smaller business owners as well as um, uh, uh, a lot of individuals to find um, work on their own. Mm-hmm. And these kind of workspace solutions that co-working provides is the perfect fit for them because mm-hmm. they 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 have that kind of flexibility over the lease terms mm-hmm. over the the amount of space that they need and um really allows them to uh expand their network as well. Mhm.
0: So uh, if that's the case then for for corporates um Okay, let's I'll skip that. So like I guess the the last question I probably want to ask about co-working space because we're running out of time is um how do you see the whole idea of bundling and unbundling happening within the space? Because coworking is very fragmented in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. right? Do you see, um, you know, it being one or two players or do you see it just remaining fragmented?
1: Yeah. Um, good question. I think when it comes to the co working business, uh, it, it doesn't, I don't think we'll see it play out mm-hmm. like the ride right hailing industry. Where you have a huge consolidation and you're going to have one winner. Yeah. The nature of our business is, it's actually quite fragmented. Mm -hmm. Um, whereby many, many operators can, can play a part because when I set up, when I set up a co-working space, let's say in Damansara uptown, Mm -hmm. I plant my flag there. I only capture the, the surrounding catchment. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it, uh, uh, and so it's, it's a very location specific kind of business um so that this is essentially what we've seen over the past two years we've seen like an arms race of sorts whereby all the different operators have really rushed out to plant their flags Mm -hmm. in key catchments Mm -hmm. um but that is also this this kind of fragmented approach allows for a lot of different players to Mm -hmm. be in the market
0: so essentially it's not it's not a winner's take all kind of market yeah definitely not and i guess then um i remember my question now so if you're a corporate right then and you start to adopt this uh, co-working policy because the market is changing structurally, what would be the risks then for corporates adopting co-working longer term out?
1: Um, The risk would be, uh, I think having less autonomy over their space, obviously it it being a shared space. um, I think that there there is a mindset shift Mm -hmm. that, that, that needs to be happen on the corporate side to understand that, Hey, you know, this is not just my kind of, this is not my meeting room and mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. my, my, uh, nap pod. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that kind of sharing mentality needs to be driven there and mm-hmm. not something that comes naturally to a lot of these very mature mm-hmm. businesses. I would also th- tend to
0: think that because a lot of it might be a knee jerk reaction to mm. the current events and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they are trying it out. But if they don't actually understand how decentralized worked and don't set up a culture or yes. built around this, yes. I yep. think it may actually backfire and suddenly say, oh, this is not going to work and they may try to go backwards. Yeah. right.
1: I think that the desire to change needs to come from within, first yes. of all. Yes. Uh, the understanding that I need to... Uh, in, okay, I think in order to really uh, uh, attract and retain millennial talent mm-hmm. in the future, corporates need to look at a more flexible approach to work, mm-hmm. a more holistic approach yeah. to work. And that's where co-working comes in mm-hmm. because we get, not only do we give access to our network of spaces across, um, across Clang Valley, but, uh, through our, uh, our benefits and, and, um, perks that we, that we can, um, articulate, uh, it, it allows our, mem- uh, allows, um, the employers to really uh, provide a holistic and curated workspace, a uh, workspace experience that can attract and that can help them attract and also retain millennial talent. Mm-hmm.
0: So what is next for Collabs and what do you have in store for the future?
1: Right. Um, so this year we've actually taken steps uh to move away from the pure co-working positioning that we 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 have okay. at the moment. Um with the growing acceptability of these kind of flex solutions from corporates, um there's, there's actually we've identified a huge latent demand that that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um and with that, we 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 are introducing our enterprise solutions called Scalable. Uh, Scalable, okay. Uh, uh, sometime later this month. Okay. Oh, nice. Uh, well, we are we're we're recording this on the on on early August, right? Early August. So yeah. we are looking to to launch this mid mid August of 2020. Um, essentially, what that would mean is the next iteration of of the of the co working concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereby we focus on one corporate entity versus 50, uh, 60 different SMEs. Mm-hmm. Um, what that would mean is actually we will offer um, end-to-end uh, workspace solutions for corporates, mm-hmm. beginning from us coming on as a real estate consultant. So working with a corporate entity to identify the right kind of uh, commercial space that they need Mm-hmm. Um, going through the whole commercial process with them. Um, then moving on to actually designing their workspace for them. And this is, of course, leveraging off our expertise in the construction mm-hmm. industry. Uh, designing and actually building their, their office. And, uh, and, and beyond that, we will also manage the, their workspace for them. This, the, we will also manage the workspace mm-hmm. for the corporate, uh, in order for them to bring about a curated workspace for Mm -hmm. the millennials.
0: So essentially then, um, you're leveraging all of the expertises, I guess from co-working plus property development. And would they be doing this in their own buildings or is this under your own offerings or or where does this product take place?
1: So we're we're, we're agnostic to whatever uh, kind of office setup that that, that they currently have or they Mm -hmm. plan to have um we can come in to so the the two two key components uh in our enterprise solutions the design and build and the manage mm. um the design and build portion is quite self-explanatory yep. uh um that's just leveraging off our construction and design expertise mm-hmm. to be able to deliver uh workspaces um for for the millennial generation um and we are using our co-working spaces essentially as sales galleries right mm. for for Makes what sense. our offerings are uh, on the managed side is is a little bit different this is where we come in as a service provider mm-hmm. to work with the with a corporate um within their office where we will manage everything from the facilities to the overall uh employee kind of well-being mm-hmm. the the employee experience within mm-hmm. the workspace so we will come in to do things uh we will come in to to do facilities management to um to Inject the perks and benefits of the Collapse offerings that, that comes, um, that's the likes of, you know, mm-hmm. free gym memberships, mm-hmm. uh, um, potlucks or our different kinds of events, mm-hmm. our fitness a- activities, mm-hmm. our wellness activities, um, and combining all together to really provide a holistic workspace experience. Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, essentially this is speaking more to the lifestyle aspect of what maybe this younger generation is looking for, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, in terms of how that works against your your older products, then is this is very this must be very new. Is anyone else doing this in the market?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a model that has been uh, adapted from from a few other co-working operators in the West, um, mm-hmm. and this is something that we are seeing uh, being offered by some of the incumbents in 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 mm-hmm. the Malaysian market as well. But where we come in is. Uh, and where our value proposition lies is in our expertise as a builder. Mm-hmm. So we have this intrinsic, um, expertise that not, not many other, uh, of our competitors can, can leverage off mm-hmm. that allows us to, to deliver a product of, um, uh, of the highest possible quality.
0: So essentially, but your, your competitive advantage is by creating a better experience. One, one, because you already operated for a long time co-working, but also because of uh, leveraging internally all the, I guess, assets and workforce you already have. Yeah. And if they kind of choose you and go with you, they're going to have a better experience overall. Yeah. Something that's more reliable.
1: I think two key, two key things that we can push here is number one on the hardware, right? Yeah. So on the hardware is the actual physical space, the physical office. So I think that our, that, that's been quite articulated quite well in terms of our ability to live a high, mm-hmm. higher, quality product. But on the, on the software side it's about creating a holistic kind of workspace experience for these corporates. Mm-hmm. And this is leveraging off our, yeah. uh, our experiences and our ex- expertise as a co-working provider.
0: Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, essentially if you are a big corporate, uh, how can we reach out to you?
1: Uh, you can find us, uh, so we're launching our enterprise solutions, uh, like I said, in in the middle of August. It's going to be called Scalable. (laughs) Uh, you can find us on, uh, all those, all those social media, uh, kind of platforms. (laughs) Uh, it should be under scalable.my.
0: Scalable.my. Yeah. And, uh, you should probably act now to, Take advantage of the change in the structural workforce. The millennials want something new. Uh, so, I'm going to throw you one last question. And uh, we kind of touched upon it earlier with the whole idea of uh, maintaining generational wealth. Mm. So, for the last question, uh, if you were to take over Paramount and you're able to grow this to multi billion dollar Ringgit, USD, whatever, right? It becomes an international enterprise across a few countries would you take the pl- uh, wealth pledge like Bill Gates?
1: I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of life for me to live yet for me to, to be able to come to uh, uh, a conclusion that I am, I am comfortable, comfortable with. with. Okay. Yeah. So still, still too early in a journey. It's still too early in a journey. Obviously the, absolute amount of wealth is also a consideration. Depends, right yeah, yes exactly, exactly. A, a big yes. big consideration because yes, a half
0: half of a few billion is still quite okay yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah.
1: so uh, uh, I unfortunately I'm in no position to say although uh, going back to my you know ide- idealistic roots mm. uh, I, I would like to think so yeah uh, but, but don't hold me to but we'll, we'll definitely
0: come back to revisit when it does happen <laughs> all right thank you for being on the show and thank you so much for your time Thanks Alex thank you, okay. thank you hey listeners thanks for listening to another awesome episode of EOA Thank you Ben for your time and sharing your story. as usual, if you like this episode if you found it valuable please share it to your friends and family share it on social media Let us know what you think at slash podcast or feel free to email us at hello at entrepreneursofasia.com So what can we learn from Ben? I think that whether you are in a family business or building a new startup, finding your own authentic voice is key. Question yourself critically. It's a very important thing to do. For Ben, he was naturally inquisitive. He wanted to know where his place in life would be, whether it was his impact on society or how he would be able to contribute to the family business. Like many others, he measured himself against external factors at first. For him, it was his father. For others, that might be people we admire or idolize or some other trendy standards. But often, the answer you are looking for is inside each of us. We need to focus on tackling hard problems and solving them. In Ben's case, it came in a form of making collabs a success and continuing its growth. If you're looking for a new office space, definitely consider co-working, even if you're a large corporate or the individual creator. The landscape is constantly changing, and despite what happened to WeWork,
2: co-working is definitely here to stay. See you guys back here for next week's episode.